Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wild Voices Project. If I'm sounding slightly weary today, that's because I was out walking for about 16 miles yesterday in uh, some slightly unexpected sunshine and heat across the uh, South Downs Way in West Sussex. Uh, and on that lovely April day, saw my first brimstone butterfly of the year and my first swallow as well. And I was recording a very special episode of the podcast, which I'll be bringing to you at some point in the next few weeks. But the conversation that I'm sharing with you today is with Sean Conway, an ultimate endurance adventurer who has run, cycled and swum the length of Britain. I managed to catch Sean in the short few days between the publication of his latest book, Running Britain, and setting off on his latest adventure, He sets off on Monday the 16th of April 2018 to cycle 8,000 miles across Europe in, I believe, as short a time as possible. You can follow Sean's journey uh, this time at www.yellowjersey.co.uk and you can also find Sean on Twitter at Conway underscore Sean, that's Sean spelt S-E-A-N. And if you search YouTube for Sean Conway as well, then you can see a whole host of videos which are which include interviews with him, as well as his own videos on his adventures and short tips on training as well, on lots of different aspects of training. In this conversation, we discuss Sean's childhood growing up in Zimbabwe with rhinos and lots of other wildlife where his father was a game ranger. We talk about what he has learned from uh, his journeys up and down the length of Britain about its landscapes and its people. And we talk about some of his amazing connections with special places and all sorts of wildlife from phosphorescent glowing plankton to pods of dolphins on his various adventures. This is an incredible conversation with an inspirational man, a man who has inspired me to push my own boundaries in my physical training in my walking and my running and I really hope that you enjoy it. The Wild Voices Project podcast is part of Wild Voices Media which is a global project connecting aspiring conservationists with emerging storytellers. You can find more about the Wild Voices Project podcast at wildvoicesproject.org and you can find out more about the global project at wild-voices.org. And don't remember, uh, don't forget, sorry, that you can subscribe to the Wild Voices Project podcast in iTunes and Stitcher. And if you've got the time to leave us a short review, then I'd be really, really grateful. I think that's everything from me for the time being. So let's dive in to this incredible conversation. Okay, let's crack on. Well, um, welcome to the podcast, and thanks very much for for joining me. Um, I wanted to start where I often start with people, which is by asking you about where your your early connection with the outdoors came from. Um, in your case, I suppose, particularly growing up in in Zimbabwe, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I guess growing up in as a sort of colonial African, you kind of have an inbuilt need to explore because your forefathers did it from England and and all that sort of thing and in my case England and Ireland um so that idea of going off and exploring what's out you know 
outside of where you live is was ingrained in my family, I guess. And I think that's probably half the reason I do what I do now is because my grandparents and great grandparents decided to explore Africa a uh, hundred years ago, you know? Mm, yeah. And there was also a kind of connection to wildlife as well growing up right through your dad's work. Yeah, exactly. My, my father's a rhino conservationist. So we lived in the middle of game reserves and, uh, and parks and, and that sort of thing, just trying to make sure rhinos and elephants didn't get poached. So, you know, that certainly was an adventurous upbringing, having, you know, elephants in your garden and, and things like that. So <laughs> that fueled it as well, no doubt. Yeah, at the back of, um, at the very back of your book, Helen Highwater, I saw a photograph of you on the back of a rhino, which it said in the little caption was not an uncommon sight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in my world, yeah, I mean, looking back now, it's very uncommon, but I just, you just, that was normal for me um, back then because we had orphaned rhinos where the parents were poached, and it's quite difficult to reintroduce orphaned rhinos into the wild. They land up not really knowing how to survive on their own. Uh, so you land up raising them and then they land up probably in a zoo and uh, things like that, um, and which helps raise awareness for people. You know, when they s often people see these animals for the first time in a in a, an enclosure and that inspires them to take on uh, conservation. So, um, yeah, I was trying to help people get behind conservation back then, even when I was five years old. Mm, yeah. And um so I, I know that you spent uh, spent some time living and working in London, and that's when you kind of uh, set off on one of your first adventures. Was it partly partly wanting to recapture some of that? Um, you know, I know you did some, correct me if I'm wrong, some swimming and some canoeing or kayaking when you were young, and you obviously spent a lot of time in the bush and in the outdoors. Was it partly wanting to recapture those childhood feelings that drove you to set off on, on some of your first adventures, your first forays? And I think one of the first ones was your uh, Land's End to John and Groat's cycle. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I guess subconsciously those were the reasons, but truthfully it was far more simple than that. I was just bored of city life. Um, I just, I, I, I was never a city person, but sort of, found myself in London because I thought, well, that's what everyone does if you want to be successful in, in well, in my case, photography, you just go to the big city. Um, mm. And But what it landed up doing is I didn't quite appreciate how much I needed my space and freedom, and which is why now I live in the middle of the Lake District, you know, is, is away from, is, you know, far away from anyone, <laughs> if I can, you know, but back then, you sort of... You, when you're young, you're not as good as at listening to your own body and your mind and things like that. And you kind of just make stupid choices, I think. And that's certainly my case, you know. And I, so those early adventures was probably just more of a case of me wanting to a do a bit of exploring. You're right, but also just get out of get out of London for for as long as I could. Yeah, you. you I, I read somewhere that you now live in the Lake District, and then it was really nice reading. Um, reading your book about your cycle from John O'Groats to from Land's End to John O'Groats and you cycling through the Lake District and the Peak District and describing how one day you would love to live there. Um, no, and, uh, you know, that was 10 years ago now and it, it took me that long to work it out. And I don't know why, I, I, I didn't think of it earlier. I just, you know, I guess I just always thought places like the Lake District is where other people live, you know. I just didn't think I would be lucky enough to ever live up here and then I woke up one day and I thought well actually why can't I and uh mm. five days later I moved here literally that was it <laughs> wow that's amazing 
Um, <laughs> so, in in that book, and also in Helen High Water, which was about your swim of the length of Britain, you 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 set one of your aims as. Um, you know, particularly for the cycle one, I remember you describing near the beginning how you'd lived in Britain for a while, but you really didn't know it as a country. So you wanted to set off and learn about learn about the country, really. So what yeah. do you feel that you did learn about Britain during that journey? Oh, well, loads of things. Firstly, everyone's amazingly kind and supportive of, of, of you when you decide to go out and do these things. You know, unfortunately, the world generally paints a a picture of the not point not one percent of people who are just idiots, um, but most of the world are just happy people wanting to look after their neighbours and have a close friends and family and get on with their lives, you know. And that that was kind of nice. Um, and then the landscape, you know, I just living in London, I just didn't quite appreciate how vast and enormous and amazing places like Scotland were, and you know, just as i said exploring the the lake districts um you know down in cornwall you know there's just so much variety in in this little island and it's just such an awesome place to to be able to to explore you know even though it's only sort of whatever i think 600 miles long or something like that yeah i've been i've been lucky enough myself to travel to some fairly far-flung places and i lived in the rainforest in indonesia for a year but nonetheless um wow Nonetheless, I've been to Mull, I think, four times, and I've been to Ardnamurkan Peninsula once, and I've been to Skye once as well, and I still, for me, don't think that anywhere really beats the west coast of Scotland, and when you were describing it, particularly in Helen High Water, it was giving me a real hankering to go back, which I really need to try and do this year. Yeah, no, I love it. I actually, I I did a a two-week road trip around Skye and Mull and everything last year. Uh, Yeah, I loved it. It was amazing. And I think that what you just referred to, to the kind of just how nice people are, that was one of the things that really stood out for me across both of those both of those books was, um, you know, was your discovery along the way of people's incredible generosity, both in donating to the charitable causes that you were you were raising money for, but also kind of just in helping you out of really sticky situations, which was which was pretty amazing and quite moving at times as well. I mean, it must have been pretty moving for you being on the receiving end of that generosity, but just as the reader of the story was also was also pretty moving. Yeah, I mean, that, again, the, the kindness of strength is something that not just I talk about, but most people who often decide to do something will probably experience it where they're just kind of overwhelmed by people's selfless, just, you know, need or, or, or idea of helping you and, and also, it, ha- it happens on all of them. You know, when I cycled around the world, I got run over in America and a family took me in. Um, when I ran Land's End to John O'Groats, you know, that was, again, exploring the trails because the sea, the swim was on the sea, the cycle was on the road, and then the run was on the trails. Um, and there, you know, loads of people were coming and running with me and joining me. Some chap even hitchhiked three days from france to run for a day with me <laughs> um uh, got, uh, yeah he's, he's, he's there's almost a whole chapter dedicated to julien who's a uh, just this crazy french guy um who uh yeah came and ran with me so <laughs> it's great yeah i need to get hold of your new your new book running britain having read um having read your cycling and swimming one it's definitely wet my appetite for for your writing and then yeah. for reading that reading that third story um well, it's just it's just out, so uh, 
yeah, you, you yeah, grab one while they're while they're hot. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, there we go. Great. I was gonna I was gonna ask you if there was uh, if there's a couple of things that we could plug. Maybe we'll talk about your upcoming adventure in a in a minute as well. Um, yeah. What else did I want to ask you about? So many things. Um, so I referred very briefly to. Um, to the fact that on on both of those journeys you were you are fundraising for charitable causes for CPRE um, and for uh, War Child um, and you've obviously referred to the to the fact that you your dad's been involved in rhino conservation and I saw a little video that I think you did for Save the Rhino. I suppose I was particularly interested yeah. in what um, what drove your choices of your choices of charities and I suppose CPRE was the one that. Um, kind of i was i was most interested in finding out why you chose cpre you, you know you make funny references as you're as you're going along in the book to hedgehogs um and how many how yeah. many hedgehogs you can save with with 50p but i'd be interested in yeah in why you chose that charity well i'm just i i you know i i think it was my my little stand against city life i think by you know in my mind if i try to raise awareness and and some money for protecting the rural parts of England. Um, although someone had a go at me when I got to Scotland and was still trying to raise money for rural England, but <laughs> uh, that was good banter. That was good banter. Um, yeah, I just big, you know, hugely value our countryside, and and it would be a shame if it, if we lost it. Um, uh, I think, you know, there's a there's a lot to do, but I think. England certainly is going in the right direction. I think people, most people are starting to use and appreciate the countryside more. Um, I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, we're, we're more plastic savvy now. I think, you know, we're, we're looking after, we're picking up litter more than we used to, I think. I'd like to think so anyway. So I think it's all going in, in the right direction. But certainly the countryside uh, is is just amazing. You know, I'm sitting here, in my office looking up to the Coniston old man and, you know, and I'd, it's just, we need more of this and we need to look after it, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask actually, I think you're right that there's certainly, we certainly seem to be in a phase, particularly in the past couple of years, at least of increased environmental consciousness and awareness of plastics is certainly something that's been quite big in the media in the last, in the last few months. Um, Another trend that I've noticed is kind of gr growing popularity in adventures, expeditions. I know there's certainly been a huge growth in the number of people signing up to take part in things like ultramarathons. I wanted to ask you, what do you think it is that draws people to, that gives people a fascination in, with or an interest in what you do? And why do you think we're seeing growing interest in things like ultramarathons and people pushing themselves to that kind of level what do you think is it it is within people that's driving that okay well i'm i'm not going to take credit for for the answer because it, it comes straight from a book uh by james wallman called stuffication mm. where long story short basically for the last couple of hundred years you know we're all mammals we need to beat our chest in some way right and that's just fact it's mm -hmm. biological peacocks grow feathers they don't need uh you know gorillas beat their chest there's evidence of cavemen apparently in parts of the world with no trees building elaborate axes to show off you know uh -huh. um so for a long time 
what we've done is we've to, to show off to our neighbors and, and have that beating of your chest, which is biologically ingrained in mammals. We've bought stuff. We have, you know, you know, yeah. we buy the bigger car, we buy the bigger house, we buy the fancy clothes, blah, 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 blah. But over the last hundred years, certainly all that stuff has got almost commonplace, you know, I mean, we're talking Western world here, you know, it, it's a very different story once you talk about third world and other parts of the world. But let's, mm. if you're looking at Britain, for the most part, you and I can eat very well. In fact, the fact that obesity is now a major issue is just testament to the fact that we have too much stuff. Yeah. Um, but we can, all, we can clothe ourselves pretty well. We can all have, most of us can have access to, to these things. And what's happening is all the people that are now signing up to adventures and things like that, they weren't getting their beating chest by buying the fancy car, you know, because everyone's got a fancy car, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, again, obviously, there's ends of the scale. and in, But if you look at the as, – as it stands, we are far – we're e living an easier life now than we were 100 years ago. No one can deny that, right? So what's happening is people are getting a bit bored of buying the fancy car and not actually getting their social status. And then what happened is a thing called social media got invented and they found that actually when they climbed up a mountain or they ran a marathon, all of a sudden their friends were like, wow, that's amazing. And they're getting the same thing that 50 years ago you would get if you bought a fancy car, hmm. you know. Um, and that's now fueling. Again, this is all coming out of James Warman's book called Stuffication. Um, it's fueling people's kind of inbuilt chest beating um, kind of part of them, which is now doing stuff. So he doing things rather than buying stuff. And he says it's called, it's a new way. So we're moving from, what does he say? From sort of capital, capitalism, you know, fueled by materialism across to a thing called what he says, experientialism, where now we're all choosing to actually spend our spare money um, on going and doing things. Um, and the word millennial gets thrown around there and, as well. And there's, there's a lot of psychology into that and we won't go into that. But I think the long story, the short story of a long story is, is <laughs> I think we're all starting to move into a, an area where we dis we're valuing our time a lot more. We're realizing that actually going and running a marathon and an ultra marathon and climbing up a mountain and trying to raise money for charity and blah, blah, blah is actually giving us a way way more purpose and 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 chest beating uh than it, than we would have done if we had bought a big house and a bigger car and things like that so i think that's that's i think probably one of the reasons that you see an increase in it uh the second increase is it's generally it's a lot cheaper now to do these things than it has ever been you know flights flight is cheaper equipment's cheaper um you know you, you have access to all these things and again with social media you have access to find out what it's all about you know you know in the 80s if you wanted to find out what it was like to climb everest you had to go to the library and get a book or get a magazine um and then you know maybe the moment had passed or you just didn't do that whereas now you have all these people who've done it to sharing their stories online and you can feel more involved and it becomes more accessible and then all of a sudden you think oh i could do that um because i know when, when i grew up in the 80s and 90s i i just sort of presumed and believed oh well going to everest is not anything that I would ever even be able to do. So you just write it off. But actually, I would have been wrong because 
I wanted to. And I'd been, I had people sharing things on a thing called social media back then. I probably would have realized that actually anyone can do it. And I think that's, again, another reason why more people are doing these things. Right, exactly. And I think you've just beautifully brought me on to one of my other questions, which was, well, kind of combining two, I suppose. Number one, what is the main message you're trying to convey to people through what you do? So you you could just go out there and do all these adventures and not write books about them, not do social media about them. And yet you clearly feel that it's important to communicate with people. So what's the main message that you're trying to get across? And I think that overlaps with one of my other questions, which is what do you feel is the main thing that you've learned about yourself through doing these adventures? Yeah. Okay, well, the message, like, what I, without trying to sound sort of, uh, you know, how do I put this, kind of mean or self-centered, what I don't want to be is like this big preacher and go, oh, you must do this, you can do this, you know, you know, be inspired, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I would rather just lead by example, and then if people people are intelligent enough to take away what they want from from what I do, um, I ruined the first sort of not first half of my life, but certainly my early my twenties. I kind of wasted by chasing the wrong dream, and then I kind of you know when I was thirty, I kind of realized that I'd made a mistake. Hmm. Um, so I guess now it's, I feel you know, morally responsible to somehow, you know, share my story so that other people don't make the same mistake I did, you know, um, by just wasting time and effort and energy chasing the wrong dreams, you know. So I guess that's the one thing, you know, I would try to, you know, hopefully people use my story um, for for that purpose and, and, and realize that sort of thing. But I certainly don't want to sit here and, and preach to people because I think people are intelligent enough and are bored of being preached at <laughs> by everyone else. So, um, yeah, I kind of don't have an active message, if you know what I mean. I just, I, I, you know, I do it and then hopefully lead by example. And then the other thing, I mean, what I've learned personally is, I guess, two things. One is resilience, you know, uh, keeping resilient is a really good life lesson. You know, I think we all, and I'm to blame as well, you know, we can often give up too easily because there's a often a better option anyway or there's another option that just as it excites you so you just give up and you land up just flittering between things whereas doing these challenges certainly builds a bit of resilience up which is good and balanced with that is a bit of level-headedness you know which again I think is a really valuable life life skill to have you know not to overreact when things are good uh, and when times are bad you know sometimes you can over celebrate when times are good. Um, we all do it, you know. There's stories of people winning the lottery and then spending it all and 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 losing it. Mm. Um, so keeping a level head when times are good and bad, I think, is also quite a good, valuable life lesson that I, I've learned along the way. And also how to grow a big ginger beard. That's the other one. <laughs> that is an excellent skill. I have attempted in the past to grow a substantial beard and it's not gone that well <laughs> in fact in fact i i got told by a boss well not a boss my boss's boss's boss at one point that uh i looked like leonardo dicaprio but leonardo dicaprio in the revenant uh <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah so i decided i needed a shave at that point <laughs> i wanted to ask about the resilience thing i mean i think i think to to address what you said about 
the risk of being preachy. Having just read Helen High Water, your writing certainly comes across as anything but preachy. In fact, you you manage to convey the message that anything is possible, even if there are naysayers and doubters telling you that it isn't. But I think that you do that in a way that, A, leads by example by just telling the story, and B, completely avoids being preachy in any way by being hugely realistic and honest about how tough it is both logistically and at times emotionally to achieve what you you achieved and there's one there's one bit of the book where you describe a particularly tough period of the of the journey that you're on um when you're going up the coast of Ireland um and I really wanted to ask at, at moments like that what is it that you know in addition to the kind of the opportunity to get go on shore and have a few drinks down the pub or the generosity of people who help you out at unexpected times what is it internally within you that that keeps you going when things are going really a lot of things are going wrong and it's really tough at times like that um i think fear of failure that certainly kind of keeps me going far more than the rewards of success you know i I never think oh well when i finish this i'm going to be able to write a book and blah 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 blah. i Mm. i kind of think if i don't this i'm going to be miserable i'm going to get home with nothing i'm going to be skint uh and i yeah then what you know then that so actually it's that idea that rather than you know what will happen if i finish this it's more like well geez if i don't finish it then that scenario is is quite depressing in my world so uh yeah that kind of inspires me to carry on yeah and i wanted to so i realize i haven't really asked much about some of the kind of trials and tribulations or amazing moments from the actual journeys that you've been on so i wanted to ask about um another moment from that that part of the journey i wanted to ask about what um what role wildlife has played on your on your various trips because you do kind of write down and take note of the birds singing around you as you wake up in the morning in your tent or seeing seals or dolphins on your swim and there's one particularly amazing moment with the phosphorescence in the water and when you're swimming along the coast of Ireland I wanted to ask about that moment and about what role wildlife plays more generally when you're when you're on these when you're on these trips these adventures well yeah I mean it's just nice to feel that you're kind of out there with other beings and animals and i just i love the fact that over billions and billions of years we've somehow managed to sort of have animals that can fly and you know live at the bottom of the ocean and climb up trees and you know all these such a huge variety that have all stemmed from the same thing that kind of fascinates me um just from evolution point of views and um yeah and it's just kind of makes you feel closer closer to uh to being in this world rather than than just using it you know being working mm. alongside uh all the other species rather than sort of taking advantage of them and i don't know i think they're just pretty basically <laughs> <laughs> and could you say a little bit more about the the amazing phosphorescence experience that you had that was one of the most beautiful stories in the in the helen high water yeah. book i think yeah, if anyone's ever seen the film Life of Pi or The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio, um, coincidentally, um, you know when they're running in the water or when the whale comes up? Mm. Um, it was exactly like that, honestly. It was so light. 
and when I'd come out the water, they would even be in my beard, and my I looked like a Christmas tree. Um, it was amazing, and yeah, I had no idea that I'd, you'd get so many phosphorescents in the UK. I always sort of just presumed they were from, you know, Thailand and and places with warmer water. But yeah, to have them here in the UK was just yeah, amazing, absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah, never forget it. And you and you had this um, you had this moment, this slightly surreal moment later in the trip where um, you were just about to cross. Uh, oh, I'm not going to remember the name of it now. You were just about to cross a particularly trying stretch of water. Was it Cape Rough? And it was just before that that. Um, well, you'll describe it better, but uh, you got some encouragement from a bird underwater, right? Yeah, the bird that decided to come and swim underwater with me. Yeah, everyone tell the story people think I was dreaming but I definitely wasn't but I was swimming along and all of a sudden below me about five meters there was a bird swimming underwater and it looked at me and it winked as if to say everything's going to be all right mate and then swam up to the surface and flew away um and it was one of those dive you know those birds that dive in for fish wherever they are I don't know what they are um and yeah it was amazing uh, the bird was wrong because literally about half an hour later, we nearly capsized yeah. and a, nearly a big storm nearly washed the boat up against the uh, the rocks. So um, maybe the bird was coming to warn me, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did think that as I was reading it. I thought, mm, yeah, you said you sort of described feeling reassured by that bird's wink, and then uh, a couple of pages later, things were not going so well. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask as well about the the kind of difference between um between the swim which was obviously supported by um there were three other people with you throughout at every point during the during the swim and the cycle yeah. ride for example where you did that solo but you had your in the book you describe your trusty little flying cow companion who becomes kind of the second character in the in the story what what are the different skills involved in keeping yourself going through through a solo journey compared to in a sense being the leader of a team um on something like the swim yeah it's doing doing having a team a support team is actually really difficult because you know you you wrote you were all only human and that you can't help but sort of feel sorry for these three people sitting on a boat in the freezing cold watching a swimmer doing one mile an hour you know, like it was pretty miserable for them. Um, so yeah, I had to constantly not only manage what I was doing, but also manage their own enjoyment of it. You know, because they, all they, if they just decided to leave and and you know nothing was stopping them, um, that would be game over for me. So it was really difficult for me to sort of come up with ways of keeping them motivated. You know, so that took up a lot of brain space. Um, so I had to come up with fishing games and things like that um, and and pub meals and things. Whereas when you do the solo stuff, you really do have to just focus on everything on your own. Um, and the way to get – if you did have a support crew, the, you could get away with it by sort of having a really good team leader um, who, who could manage everything. But you would have to find someone that you really knew very well who was able to – to come on board and unfortunately all my friends have real jobs and and i couldn't find anyone so <laughs> i had to do it myself <laughs> <laughs> i 
I thought maybe maybe this isn't a fair reflection, um, but I thought I saw an evolution in your writing as well between those two books. So in the in the cycle one, it was quite lighthearted, and there was a lot of a lot of uh, dialogue from from your head and banter between you and your your mascot. Um, whereas in in the story of your swim, there are a lot of moments where you're pretty honest about how down you were feeling at points when you thought that maybe the maybe you weren't going to make it to the end. Um, and for me, that was you know that was really um, I don't want to say nice, but you know it was. Um, inspiring to kind of follow that evolution in your own writing because that honesty about how difficult things were kind of made it feel more human and actually as a reader made me feel more like you know well maybe I'm capable and more I, more than I think I'm capable of and even people who are doing amazing things go through go through pretty tough moments. Well yeah of course I mean there were two very different adventures you know like Cycling Lands into John O'Groats is it's becoming quite a, a fairly common thing to do, you know, and it, and mm. especially when you take nearly a month off for it, like I did, you know, I wasn't trying to do it quickly or anything. I I wanted to just explore and I wasn't doing very big mileage or anything. And, and it was fun and it was lighthearted, whereas the swim was a very different adventure. You know, that was a lot of naysayers, you know, world's first. Uh, There's so many issues with funding and, and training and or lack thereof and and logistics and crew and you know all these things which no one had ever done in the world ever um so yeah there were two very different adventures it's the two different types of books you know now if you read the run book the third in the series you know it's now the final in the trilogy the triathlon mm. it's kind of gone back to lighthearted again or somewhere in between because you know i was still running a thousand miles which is fairly difficult but I wasn't trying to break a record or anything, you know, 44 days isn't groundbreaking. So it's a nice balance between the the, the lighthearted um, versus the sort of the task at hand. Um, so I wanted to ask about the book, the title of which is Running Britain, and it came out last week, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's the third in the series of the world's first length of Britain triathlon, so obviously swum it and cycled it, and now it's the run, which took me two attempts. The first attempt, uh, I got injured taking a selfie while running and tripped over, so that was pretty embarrassing. But uh, <laughs> nevertheless, six months later, I, I recovered and went and had another crack at it. Um, and yes, ran a 1,000 miles, took 44 days, which again isn't groundbreaking by any means. So it was just a nice way to explore the trails of Britain, which there are many. Um, as I worked my way from Scotland back down to Land's End, and it really was, it was, yeah, one of the, the most challenging physically because running really is just difficult on my on my joints and knees and things, and I had uh, stomach issues. But then I got to meet some amazing people and and um, worked my way down down the country and uh, over six weeks, which was uh, which was great, yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, it is it. I did the run nearly three years ago and I wanted to do the book, you know, give it its due justice and and credit by taking time with it rather than just trying to get the book out quickly to sell more copies. So, yeah, it's uh, I put a lot of energy into this one. I'm quite proud of it, actually. Awesome. Well, it's um, it's next on my reading list, basically, because I've just devoured the last two. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. Um, and I've kind of managed to catch you for the podcast quite a busy time so it's just after the publication of that book and then maybe 
maybe you could say a little bit about what you're setting off to do next week. Yes, yeah, so next week I'm now going back to Europe to have a second crack at the Across Europe Cycling World Record. So the edge of Portugal, uh, 4,000 miles across Europe into Russia. Um, and I tried it last year but got injured quite early on, so had to pull out, which is annoying. Uh, so I've come back again, recovered, trained again, all over again through the winter, which is pretty miserable. Uh, but I've done it. Um, and I'm ready, yeah. So I start on Monday, this coming Monday, um, from Portugal. And yeah, I'm excited and nervous because you're always nervous when you've failed something once before. You, you kind of, it knocks the wind out your sails a little bit. But I feel a bit bit more confident now i think i'm fitter i've got a better bicycle setup i've gone back to an old steel frame bike which is really comfortable so i won't get hopefully as injured because of 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 just kind of being being uncomfortable on the bike can lead to injury so uh yeah exciting exciting watch your space um there's yellowjersey.co.uk is the website everyone can follow for for a live tracker which goes off every couple of minutes um as i work my way across europe so yeah send me some jokes please everyone because i'll need them <laughs> great i was going to ask where people can follow you and you're at conway underscore sean on twitter yes conway underscore sean on twitter uh sean conway adventure on instagram and facebook uh i have no idea just search my name i guess I'm, and, I'm probably most famous sean conway so i'll be down the list somewhere and um will you have little flying cow with you this time as well definitely little flying cow is on my handlebars um yeah he even has his own instagram account at adventure mascot and um yeah he's racking up the country i think my little mascot's been to like 42 countries or something it's crazy wow. um so yeah, he'll be on my handlebars and we'll have many, many conversations together, I have no doubt. Great. Well, I look forward to hearing and reading those conversations with Little Flying Cow from, from this next journey. I think I think what's really interesting, Sean, is that you mentioned earlier about um, about fear of failure being something that motivates you to keep going, but it's not something that for many people might be something that hold it that held them back from ever starting. Um which I think is really one of the main messages that particularly comes across from Helen High Water is that, you know, I said this earlier on, is that if you've got a fear of starting something, whether it's voices in your own head or voices of other people telling you that that something isn't possible, then, um, then try not to listen to those because it may very well be something that you're capable of. In fact, that leads me possibly on to my next question, which which can be my final question because I know you're you're on a super busy schedule at the moment getting ready for for setting off next week which is if you could put a quote from yourself or from someone else on a billboard so as it could reach thousands or millions of people um what would it say um well it's one I actually I I use a lot because I I really believe in it and it's it, it is adventure isn't all about rowing oceans or climbing mountains adventure in its purest form is simply a way of thinking you know and and i really believe that you know you don't have to go and go and row across an ocean or climb a big mountain or do what i do and cycle around the world or whatever um you know you can really lead an adventurous life by just thinking adventurously and and that'll lead to 
eating somewhere different or taking a different route to work or just deciding to walk up that hill for no other reason than because it's there and like everyone says you know and um uh you know you can be adventurous in in many different ways and i think it's important i think i really think it's important skill that we all actively try and be a bit more adventurous in our day-to-day life because i think you you can get stuck in the little the, the old you know we all can be a bit lazy once you know something you just kind of stick with it whereas i think it's important to challenge yourself a little bit every now and then and uh yeah i think you'll you'll feel a whole lot better for it mm, that's really great i also had a bit of a dive into your youtube channel over the past few days and you've got some really great pieces of advice on some yeah. short videos like that on your youtube channel so yeah okay cool well i know you've got um even more to do this evening after after this recording, so I'm going to let you go. But um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. That was really interesting. I've loved reading your books, and I'm going to read read more of them. And uh, I'll be following your your progress from from next Monday onwards. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks everyone. And uh, yeah, keep in touch on my social channels. Uh, send me some jokes. I'll certainly need them because I'll be cycling probably from 6 a.m. until 10 o'clock every single night uh, for a month. So, um, yeah, it's going to be tough. So I'll need all the support. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks very much. Cool. Cheers, Sean. And if you are ever back in Worcestershire, then let me know. And, um, yeah, we can. Uh, you can come and visit the brewery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd love to, mate, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> all right, cheers. Very good luck for next week. And thank you so much again. I'm really grateful for your time. Brilliant. Anytime, mate. Thanks very much. Take Catch care. Later. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and you can find more of them at wildvoicesproject.org on Twitter at wildvoicesproj or by subscribing to the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks very much and until next time.